Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by Kim Kuhn, who's actually making a return to the podcast, but this is the first time that we've had Kim on in sort of a guest analyst capacity. So thanks for being here, Kim. Thanks for having me. So normally we do this podcast on Mondays, but today is Wednesday, and it just felt like this was a good time to do it because I couldn't do it Monday because I was traveling back from the West Coast. And we haven't done a podcast after a race in a couple of weeks because of Labor Day after Darlington. So really glad that you could be here because obviously we've got a lot of things that have happened in NASCAR. <laughs> light, <laughs> a light news week. Yeah, a light news week. The last 72 <laughs> hours has pretty much been nonstop. And I want to start with going back to the most recent race, Kansas Speedway Sunday. Bubba Wallace wins. And we were just talking before we got started. You had Bubba's pit for us on NASCAR and NBC during the course of the weekend. So... I want to get a sense, Kim, I guess, of like what you saw from the team and him during the course of the weekend, because it seemed like the general takeaway, the big narrative from this win was how calm Bubba was in winning this race. And did you sense that? Did you see that outwardly throughout the weekend? Yeah, absolutely. From the get go, I talked to him during the practice qualifying session and he was very much laid back easygoing. I talked to Booty the morning of the race, same sort of deal. And you have to remember they're in the owner's championship. So they could have put a lot of pressure on themselves. I didn't sense that. Not only that, they could have put additional pressure because the 45 car won the Kansas race in the spring. So everything historically we've known about Bubba and the way he carries himself would have pointed us in the direction of he's going to be on edge. He's going to be super nervous. He's going to be putting all this pressure on himself. I did not sense that Hmm. at all. And even so on the radio throughout the race, there were some higher tension points. They had a loose wheel. And as he was leading at the end of the race, they did come on the radio to try and give him updates. And he kind of told them, you know, very abruptly, like, I don't need updates. But, (laughs) you know, earlier in the season, we saw panic and pressure and just kind of chaos on the radio from him. So it was a a departure, in my opinion, from some of the Bubba Wallace takes we've seen earlier this season and then in the years past. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly where I wanted to go because it feels like every time we've talked about Wallace sitting at this desk doing this podcast, whether it was Jeff Burton sitting in the chair you are right now or Kyle Petty, we've talked about Nashville where he had the pit crew problems Mm -hmm. there that certainly was not his fault at all that that race got away from him. It was pit crew was subpar and they made changes to that regard after that. But Michigan also, we saw Bubba kind of really beating himself up 
and really like almost inconsolable after that race because mm-hmm. he probably had the best car, the dominant car start on the pole and couldn't close it out when Harvick won the race and Logano kind of got in the way of Bubba getting to the lead on that final restart. So it's interesting that you sort of saw that side. Do you think that things have happened in the last month between Michigan and Kansas where, you know, Kyle Petty, I remember him saying that like Bubba's got... I think as he put it, a lot of things in his backpack that he's carrying around that he just sort of needs to lay that aside. Do you think maybe Bubba took some advice from some people and like just was looser? I think he had to have based on his demeanor in Kansas and, you know, all the shuffling that went around, maybe that actually helped him in the sense that like so much was out of his control in terms of the dynamic of the team and everything moving around that he, all he really can do is race maybe is a little bit of the sense I got from him. Now, it's easy to, you know, say it was a different Bubba because he won the race. Right. You wonder if maybe he had made a mistake or ended up getting passed by Denny in the end, if we would have seen that same Bubba that was just so hard on himself that we've seen when he's come so close to wins. But he won it, so we don't have to second guess that. You said you talked to Booty. Did you sense in those conversations that that they knew coming in here? I mean, that team has run so well the last month and a half that I think for those on the inside, this victory wasn't a surprise. Did you see that from Booty and talking about like the car they had? And Yeah, I talked to him the morning of and he was extremely nonchalant in the sense that I didn't feel like he was showing concern on how they would run. Now, I didn't get the sense from him that they thought they had a race winning car or a car that would be as dominant that we saw, especially on the long run. But it was just a matter of, we're here to finish races. That's the first goal. That's the foremost goal. I even asked him pointedly, is there pressure now that you guys are going after this owner championship? And he was very laid back and answered it honestly and genuinely and said, there's no more pressure on us than there normally would be. So whether or not that's what was going on behind the eyes, <laughs> that's what he was giving me. But yeah. they did know they had a good car. Bubba knew that from the get-go. When I talked to him before he hopped in the car on Sunday, he told me, he's like, I feel like we are on par with where we had the car in the spring and we finished 10th. And then knowing the notes we have from Kurt, and I know Kurt's played a big role in both Bubba and Ty's runs since he's left, you know, or been sidelined, I should say. Um, Anytime I've asked Billy Scott or Booty Barker or Ty or Bubba, like kind of where is Kurt and all this, they have said he is very much still in the team, meaning like giving them notes, offering them suggestions of stuff that they may have not thought about. So I think they had all the resources on that car in Kansas to do what we saw them do. And that's interesting because that was pretty much why they brought Kurt Bush aboard was mm-hmm. they thought he could still win, but yeah. it's certainly that veteran presence yeah. that they and, thought and he we're could still, provide. We're, based on what they're telling me, we are still very much seeing that in terms of behind the scenes. If, if you talk to them and talk to how much Kurt is still present and right in the middle of things, despite not being behind the wheel. I'm glad you brought up the uh, possibility of the team owner title here as well, because this came up on our uh, production call this morning on NASCAR NBC. Somebody raised the possibility of, hey, now Bubba Wallace wins in the 45. And this is something I think we're going to be talking about more. And like on one hand, like I was a little bit worried when 2311 Racing made this move <laughs> because mm-hmm. I just felt like they were setting themselves up for, okay, well now what if Ty Gibbs, who's been running well, yeah. like what if he managed to somehow 
win a race and Bubba's in the 45 and he doesn't. Obviously, Bubba's been running better than Ty recently, but Ty's certainly been in the conversation. So I was a little bit worried on that front. So I was glad to see that Bubba was able to get this win in the 45 and do exactly what 2311 wanted them to do. But it also raises this possibility of something happening that hasn't happened in NASCAR for 60 years. I mean, the concept of a split driver owner title, I think it's something to celebrate, especially given that, you know, 2311 racing was literally built from scratch, essentially, that they could win a championship in year two. But I can also get, it's probably going to take some explaining because I think a lot of people probably weren't cognizant of the fact that like, hey, you can have a split championship. Sure. And we just, we haven't seen that. We've seen it on the Xfinity side, the cup side. It really hasn't gone that direction. And it's certainly plausible for this team, especially after winning Kansas. Cause then you look at the next round, we go Texas, Talladega, Charlotte Roval, circle Talladega for Bubba Wallace could certainly win them in there and then lock himself into the next round. Those races, Las Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville, I mean, Bubba, to me, is a guy I look at when we go to Martinsville. So it's still very much part of, you know, the conversation that this team could win the owner's championship. And when the move was first made and they were 10, I think going into the playoffs, they were 10th in the points. It was kind of a, oh, we'll keep an eye on this. Yeah. But it's a little bit of a non-factor. And all of a sudden, after Kansas, the conversation has completely flipped. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's serious money involved there. Yep. and. I mean, you raise a really good point. Because in Cup, the driver playoff and the team playoff has always been the same. We just sort of take it for granted. But you're right. Like in Xfinity, even going back to before the Xfinity Series playoffs began, you had split Keselowski with win the Xfinity Championship for Penske, but a Gibbs car Mm -hmm. would win the team under title. So essentially, this has been out there before. It just needs to sort of be placed in the Cup context to explain what it means for 2311 racing. And it'll be unusual for Cup Series fans. I think KP did the math when we were on backseat last week, and it was something like we haven't seen that happen since 62 or 63, something like way in the history books. And we do have to remember there's a driver's championship and an owner's championship and do the best job we can do at differentiating that. I know so much focus gets put on the driver's championship, but to your point, the owner's championship is really where the money's at. And it's a big deal for a team, especially a team like 2311, who's only, you know, in their sophomore season and wants to make big strides in the next couple of years. Yeah. I think it's also kind of cool that Bubba's driving the 23, uh, which is Michael Jordan's basketball number. He switches to the 45, which was Michael Jordan's baseball number. Yep. And when Jordan made that switch, he actually used the 45 for a little bit in the NBA and then switched back to 23. He obviously didn't have near the success in the 45 that he did in the 23, but now Bubba switches from the 23 mm-hmm. to 45 and he <laughs> yeah. wins. So. And you wonder, depending on the path that he continues to take in the 45, I don't know where, <laughs> you know, if they believe in kind of voodoo, but if I, I hit my yeah. stride <laughs> in a different number than I was in, I might be asking Denny like, hey, what do you think about me keeping this number? Because there's a lot of superstition when it comes to sports and especially racing. I'm very superstitious. Yeah. And I suspect if I, well, if I was Bubba Wallace, I would definitely say I'm never leaving the 45 <laughs> right. again. And I would think like MJ would understand like, look, man, you came back to the Bulls, you wore 45, you didn't win the title. Then you switched to the 23 and you, yep. you won the next three. So. I don't know. Maybe they'll let him do it. We'll see. So interesting news there with Bubba. And of course, that night we learned that Kyle Busch is going to make some news, which he did on Tuesday. 
at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, we had the announcement that he is moving to Richard Childress Racing. So I guess it wasn't a total shock, Kim. I mean, we knew this was coming down to either Childress, Colleg, or 2311, but I guess it wasn't a shock that, that this is the move that Bush made, but I guess if you would have asked us before the season started, no one would have seen this coming. I don't think we can say it wasn't a shock because it was a shock. We were just prepared for the shock. <laughs> yeah, there exactly, was scuttlebutt exactly. throughout the garage because it's so hard to keep a secret these days. But had there not been those rumblings, if we're talking at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the contract negotiations between he and GAGR, if anybody had said Kyle Busch ends up with Richard Childress, <laughs> everybody would have lost their minds, jaws on the floor. It is not anything I expected. In fact, RCR probably, if I'm being completely honest, as much as I would like to say, oh, yeah, I could have guessed that, they would have been at one of the very bottom teams on my list of where does Kyle Busch end up. When the whole thing began. you would. When the whole thing began. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that many people thought it wouldn't work out between he and JGR. And then the longer it took, kind of, I think things started to unravel. And honestly, Kurt being out of the car, I think put a different game in play where Gibbs saw what Ty could do earlier than maybe they expected and said, well, we know eventually he would likely will move up to cup. What does he have to offer? And, you know, he's done a good job for never having cup experience or next gen experience. So I think that was another kind of factor that didn't necessarily direct what ended up happening, but it certainly yeah. changed the course or some of the conversations that would have been had if that otherwise hadn't happened. Yeah, it certainly felt like the longer it went on, the more likely it seemed that Kyle Busch was going to leave. And Ty Gibbs was certainly part of that yeah. equation. That It's not just that they're going to save a ton of money. <laughs> Obviously, they're not going to have to pay Ty Gibbs anywhere near in the neighborhood of what they would have to pay Kyle Busch. I mean, it's, it's fractional yeah. when you compare those salaries, not just the fact that Ty Gibbs is relatively inexperienced, but also the fact that he's family. Yeah, and it's a he's a more of a long-term investment. Now, that's not yes. to say we won't see, we or we couldn't see Kyle be in the sport and be successful in the sport for another 10 years, but Ty's 19. Like yeah. he's got 20 years if he really wants in the sport. And so they're setting themselves up for a much longer run than they likely would have had with Kyle. Yeah. And I think they knew that what they saw from Ty when he went into the 45 yeah. in place of Kurt Busch, that they saw immediately, okay, this yeah. guy's ready to run cup now. Xfinity and cup cars are no longer the same. If we know we're going to put him in cup eventually and we're seeing yeah. him do this now, like yeah. what's the point of even yeah. keeping him in Xfinity yeah. at this point? And yeah. all this to say, we don't know for sure that yeah. Ty is in yeah. that number, I but... <laughs> I feel like that is a safe assumption based I'm being on rather presumptuous. We both are. I <laughs> yeah. think it is a very safe assumption. Yes. I would be happy to put money on it. The odds are probably not very good because it's going to be something that will likely happen if you were to put money on it. Yeah. Uh, but I would certainly put money on it. Yeah, we have not gotten official word that Ty Gibbs yeah. will be going into the number yeah. eight team. But I don't I, know what the Vegas numbers are. I, but it's I would probably think, a sure bet. Yeah, you're going to probably have to bet like a thousand bucks to win like a dollar yep. in Vegas yep. uh, to be able to make that bet pay off. Another thing we haven't heard get officially with Kyle Busch is Kyle Busch Motorsports, his truck team, which we've heard Kyle talk a lot about this being a key to where his next cup driving ride would be, was that he wanted to make sure he took care of his 50 employees there at Kyle Busch Motorsports. I thought this was somewhat interesting, Kim, because again, like it seemed like so much of Kyle's decision was predicated on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a little bit of a surprise that we didn't get news on it. But I did talk to Jim Campbell of GM Racing in Laguna Seca this past weekend. You know, he, without confirming it, he said, look, we want to bolster Chevy's truck program. Mm -hmm. 
So do you feel like maybe there's a verbal probably commitment here and they're just waiting to like get things lined up? I think there is. Yeah. And, and there are two things that pointed me in that direction. A, what Jim Campbell said, I read his quotes to the media and him talking about bolstering their truck program. And then if you paid attention to John Hunter Nemechek's post-race interview when he won Kansas, he was very emotional. He talked about it being a very tough week and John Hunter's one that wears his heart on his sleeve. So who's to say what he was alluding to, but he is a Toyota driver. So that interview for me pointed in the direction of, okay, Kyle is not re-upping with Toyota. He's going with a different manufacturer that's going to obviously affect KBM. And KBM's going to go in a different manufacturer direction too because that would obviously mean John Hunter couldn't be a part of the team since he's a Toyota driver. And so, again, if you were reading between the lines in that interview, it was like a light bulb to me. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> this is happening. This is happening. Yeah. But you also didn't know, does that mean – they're doing one truck doesn't mean they're doing two trucks once the kbm decision is made certainly there's so many questions to be answered on what happens with that team but kyle has made it very clear that his intention is to continue running kbm it just will look probably different than it has in years past yeah so definitely some questions there to be answered on how it might look in the chevrolet fold and what that's going to mean for john henry Nemerchek and some other people mm -hmm. uh on that side and of course some questions on the Richard Childress racing side about what this means for Tyler Reddick. Richard Childress said when this announcement was made at the NASCAR Hall of Fame with Kyle Busch that he had told Tyler Reddick an hour before that, oh, by the way, your crew chief and your team, mm -hmm. that's going to Kyle Busch next year. We're still going to run you in a cup-chartered car next year, but you're not going to have Randall Burnett as your crew chief. You're not going to be running the number eight. All of that will be long to Kyle Busch. I thought this was interesting, Kim, on many levels. Uh, As did I. <laughs> yeah. Yep. One is that Tyler Reddick, I think, gave Richard Childress 15 about, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but I got the same sense when, when Richard brought up the time frame. I think it was a little bit of a dig of, he, A, I didn't give Tyler a lot of notice, but also I gave him more notice than he gave me. <laughs> Before Tyler Reddick told yeah. him, hey, I'm going to the race for yeah. 20, 2311 racing in 2024. Yeah. So what did you make of that? And what do you think the future holds for Tyler Reddick next year? It's going to be an interesting season because... Richard did confirm they will have three drivers. Now, with Kyle Busch moving into the eight car, I think the majority of their resources are pointing to the eight car. Does that mean Tyler is in this kind of lame duck season where he's not going to be in the sim? He's not going to have a lot of the same resources he would if he was committed to them in the future and the same resources that Kyle's going to have now that he is in the eight car. It was really interesting to me that it was announced that Randall Burnett was going to be with Kyle Busch just because of how much success that he and Tyler have found together in multiple series. But if that didn't happen, if Richard didn't offer that up, then does Randall ultimately end up following Tyler if they stay together? So that was something that I had questioned, like, why that move? Yeah. Why would you split those? And I think Richard runs the risk of losing a great crew chief if, you know, Tyler does in fact run that third car and he stays with Randall. Then in 2024, does, you know, I don't know what Randall's contract looks like, but then does he hop ship to go with Tyler? 
That's a good point. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah, and certainly I would think Randall Burnett, as much success as he's had with Tyler Reddick, if you say, hey, you get to work with future Hall of Famer, two-time champion Kyle Busch, yeah. it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, there's so many different factors <laughs> and behind-the-scenes stuff that you just you don't know what, what actually is happening until it's announced. And then yeah. even so, you, you kind of have some questions. Well, yeah, and one question for me still is because Richard Childress plays his cards so close to the vest all the time, he demurred many times, I think, during this announcement about what this third team would look like. You know, he says it would be chartered, but he didn't provide a lot of details on, you know, would they buy a charter? Would mm -hmm. they lease a charter? Do you think that there's a possibility that a buyout still could happen here that could move Tyler Reddick to 2311 racing if Kurt Busch isn't back next season? That's a good question. I mean, I think they would have to throw a lot of money at Richard to do that. Uh, there are still benefits to running a third car and having a driver of Tyler's caliber, even if you're not giving him the same resources as your other drivers, but you know, having his feedback, seeing what he's able to do on track, sometimes with maybe less of those resources. And then, you know, you hate to think that there is any spite in it, but also just not giving Tyler the opportunity to, to leave and, you know, yeah. hit home runs early with 2311. You don't want to think that, but from a competitor perspective, not even a spite perspective, you know, it's keeping somebody in-house an additional year before they become a competitor and likely a competitor that's going to give your drivers a run for their money. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think Richard Childress probably, and his staff probably is calculating enough to think of it that way, yeah. that we're preventing Toyota from getting exactly. a head start. but. I also think revenge is a dish yeah. best served cold. Yep. And uh, there certainly was some lingering resentment about the way all of that went down. So uh, <laughs> let's move back to some happier topics sure. about the Kyle Busch news. And this brings us to our Motor Mouths of the Race presented by eBay Motors. This is where we check out a quote from the race or the race week. And this week, the quote comes from Richard Childress at the NASCAR Hall of Fame announcement with Kyle Busch. His credentials speaks well for himself. But when I was up there with Kyle and we first started talking and we talked about championships and we talked about winning races, I looked at him in his eye and I seen that look in Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s eye that he's hungry, we're gonna win. I'd seen that look before and watching Kyle, I've, I've watched his talent for many years since he started in the Bush series and just how he handles the car, the car control, the way he drives a car, and take no prisoner attitude, that's the Dale Earnhardt style that I was accustomed to racing with. And I think Kyle has that modern day style of racing that Dale Earnhardt had in his time. Normally, when I think about comparisons to Dale Earnhardt, I think that people would shy away from them like yeah, I remember usually certainly they shy very far away from yeah them. in fact I tr I tried to ask NASCAR Kazan the same question really? <laughs> yesterday when we did a Twitter spaces and he jumped as far away from it as possible <laughs> he did not want to light up the social media uh, making any no, I'm just yeah making any comparisons <laughs> well yeah I, I just remember like when Austin Dillon drove the three in 2014 in his rookie cup season there was a lot of sensitivity to sure. Richard Childress racing bringing back the three for the first time in Dale Earnhardt's death when Dale Jr. gets compared to his dad I think there's a lot of sensitivity to that mm -hmm. I know when Harvick first stepped into that ride after Earnhardt's death that he talked about the weight but it's interesting to me, Kim, because I feel like in this instance, like th there was none of that awkwardness. I think that Kyle Busch 
if there's a driver who maybe can handle that kind of mm-hmm. weight and shoulder it, that burden per se, I think it might be Kyle Busch. Like, and I think that in some ways the Earnhardt comparisons are warranted. Like no one's ever going to fill Dale Earnhardt's shoes. No, no one's going to be the intimidator. But yeah. if I'm thinking of like which driver would be closest to the modern day Dale Earnhardt, it would be, I mean, for me, it would be maybe Harvick or Kyle Busch. Yeah, I think it's fair to talk about them in the same sentence. I don't know that we can compare them side by side. A, because they didn't race against each other. For that purpose alone, it's hard to say, like, where Kyle stacks up against Dale Sr. And they raced in different eras, too. But I do think Dale Sr. was called the Intimidator for a reason. And if there's a word to describe Kyle, one of the words you would use is intimidating. He is an intimidating driver, especially if you're a younger driver in the series. So I think it's fair to say there are things that overlap in terms of the type of driver and the type of personality they are. Now, they're still very two different people. And you're talking about a seven-time champion and a two-time champion, not to say that Kyle, you know, couldn't win more and doesn't have great accolades. But I do think it is fair to talk about them in the same sentence. But nobody will ever fill Dale Sr.'s shoes. No one will. But I feel as if, if, again, if there's a driver who doesn't seem bothered by the comparisons, like I could see other drivers kind of like shying away, like, oh, I don't want to be in the same conversation. It almost feels to me like Kyle Busch kind of relishes that. Like he he wants that challenge. Like he wants to be like, yeah, you want to like say I'm – going to be the guy who's going to bring a championship back to Richard Childress Racing for the first time since 1994, I'm your guy. I can do that. Like, yeah. He almost seems to embrace that. I also think it's an easier conversation to have and to put them in the same sentence with Kyle in the eight car. Yeah. I think if Kyle was going to the three car and the comparison was being made, you would have a lot more uproar than you did. Now, there's still fans on Twitter that don't want to see (laughs) this comparison made ever and and want to burn it down. But it's a very different story, I think, if Kyle is in the three and we're having this conversation versus the eight for whatever, back to like the superstition and just the gravity of what numbers mean to different people and different teams. Yeah, certainly numbers mean a lot to NASCAR fans. That was our Motor Mouths of the Race presented by eBay Motors. At eBay Motors, you can be your own pit crew. With 122 million parts right at your fingertips, get the right parts at the right prices. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. All right, so we're going to finish up, Kim, talking about Bristol Motor Speedway, the first round cutoff race Saturday night, and I believe you brought this up on the call this morning. Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, two of the most successful drivers at Bristol, 11 Cup Series wins between them. I couldn't believe Kyle had eight yeah. until I looked it up this morning. Yeah. Both of these guys could be eliminated from the playoffs for the first time ever. They're both below the cut line. Which is wild to me. The caliber of those two drivers and the fact that they sit below the elimination line is something... At the beginning of the season, I don't think anybody would have guessed. Now, halfway through the season, perhaps. Even so, it is still shocking. Kyle, though, is only two points below the elimination line. And for as good as he is at Bristol, I don't see him staying there. I do think he will end up hopscotching the line and getting back in. Although, a week or two ago, somebody asked me what my surprise driver out early was, and I said Kyle Busch. So, you never know what's going to happen. But to think that they're below the cut line... Is this kind of a, a waning of their careers? I mean, do you do you have that conversation? At some point, you know, the switch is hit. I think we saw that with Jimmy Johnson where he performed, he performed, he performed, and then all of a sudden it was like, 
something was different. He didn't win a race his yeah. last three seasons. Yeah. He won yeah. his seventh championship 2016. I think he won three times yeah. in 17. And then yeah. after his final yeah. win at Dover, it was just, that was it. He fell off the map kind it, of in 18. And it might be 20. a little too early to say that for at least Kyle, maybe Kevin. I mean, because Kevin, shockingly, was one of the two-time winners this season and still finds himself at the bottom of the barrel. But that just shows you how close the points are, the parity we've seen this year. Yeah. It's just anybody's championship still at this point. I'm certainly not rooting against either of these guys. I don't play favorites. I try to stay objective. But at this desk three weeks ago, I predicted Kyle Busch would fall out in the first round. Okay. And then the NASCAR so NBC, both of us. Yeah, yeah, well, then the NASCAR NBC Twitter account then put up all of our predictions who were on the show that night. Love you, Ryan DaCosta. It was totally fine <laughs> that this happened. But, I, I mean, I got to own it. I made the predictions of my championship four and my first four out. And I took a lot of grief on Twitter. Like, people did not think that Kyle Busch could be eliminated. But it just felt like, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It's, again, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> it's a roll of the dice as to what could happen or couldn't happen any of these races and the wildest part to me is and I think I said this on the call this morning is typically when the playoffs start immediately right you see the playoff drivers rise to the top it's right. like right. oh these are the playoff drivers the cream rises to the top they're the ones winning the races they're the ones dominating the races in the first two races we have not seen that we've had two non-playoff winners win the first two races of the playoffs which has never happened in playoff history so it just goes to show you how different this season is than any other season we've witnessed. I'm glad you brought that up, Kim, because that was on my list. I mean, how many times have the playoffs started at Chicagoland or Las Vegas? And like the first practice, the top 10 speeds are all playoff drivers. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the first race results for the first two races, like the top 15, like 13 of them are playoff drivers, both races, like something like that. And you're right. That's been the most surprising part of two non-playoff drivers. Granted, Bubba's a little bit of an exception, but certainly Eric Jones winning Darlington. Mm -hmm. The time of the year when everybody brings their A game, their best stuff, toughest track on the circuit, you would think those two elements would mean that surely a playoff driver will win Darlington. And instead, it's Eric Jones winning the Southern 500. And I got to think, I guess, do we just chalk it up to the new car that everybody's just still getting a handle on it, that they can't just you know flip yeah. the switch and turn it up a notch? I think it is the new car. I'll be interested to see as we go deeper into the playoffs if this trend continues. I don't think we're done seeing new winners for the season. Now, does that mean we just maybe see one more and it's Ryan Blaney and he's a playoff driver? Right. Uh, is that Truex? There's still so many unknowns, especially considering we've got Talladega in the mix. We've got the Charlotte Roval, Martinsville, who knows what can happen, Homestead. As we get closer to Phoenix, it's something that needs to be revisited. Now that they have, you know, after Bristol, once they get the first round behind them, does a flip switch then? And then we see playoff drivers kind of in the upper echelon, but... All signs point to that's not going to be the case. I think we definitely get to 20. I think Blaney does win at some point. And, you know, the way Truex is run at Darlington and Kansas, it would not surprise me if he were to win. He's never won at Bristol, but he was on the pole position here a year ago. Mm -hmm. He runs well at short tracks. We'll see. Last point I want to leave you with was, again, one you brought up that I totally missed, that William Byron and Denny Hamlin can both lock in on the first stage. Everybody's making a big deal about the point spread being crazy. It is. I mean, only Christopher Bell has locked in so far of the 16 drivers and don't have a lot of separation second to 16th, especially mm -hmm. like 9th to 16th. But you made the point that William Byron and Denny Hamlin both can lock in just by getting eight points in the first stage. So both of them, they finished one, two. Yeah. And they're, they're through. They're both locked in. And I think that's a point that is being significantly missed. Yes, the point spread you know, when you get lower is so close and could be anybody in, anybody out. But 
two drivers have the chance in that very first stage to lock it in. So they're going to be two drivers I'm going to be watching very closely. I think I mentioned it, qualifying, how well they qualify, because that certainly is going to be a factor if you want to do well in the first stage. Not that they don't already put so much effort into qualifying anyway, but qualifying really has a factor in where you finish the first stage, or at least it can. And I think they'll be extra aggressive because 500 laps at Bristol is a long time. A long time for lots of things to go wrong, yeah. for yeah. <laughs> a test of the car even. It'll be very much, I think, an attrition race to some senses. So the earlier you can find yourself guaranteed into the next round, the better. So I think they will be cautiously aggressive. They won't be too aggressive that they end up you know, taking themselves out or getting into somebody and breaking a tow link or something like that. But I think they will be cautiously aggressive to find... P1 or P2 in that first stage, so they don't have to worry about stage two and then the final stage. Well, I, I think I also heard you say this this morning, and like you're right, like, like cautiously aggressive means you got to watch out for this, but there have been so many mistakes through the first two races. It's really easy to make a mistake at Bristol, not just on the track, but in the pits. I mean, we see guys speed constantly. If yeah. you speed on a green flag stop, you're you're done pretty yeah. much. <laughs> and, and Denny is at the very top of the list yeah. in terms of Good drivers point. with penalties. He has 30-something penalties alone on the season. Um, and then on the flip side, I don't have the list in front of me, but there were like four drivers who have had no woes during the first two playoff races. And I'm fairly certain, like 90% certain, William Byron's on that list. It was like William Byron, Logano, Sendrick, and like one other one, I think, maybe Bell. And so that plays well in Byron's favor but if you're looking at who might make a mistake in the first stage and not be able to lock themselves out of those two drivers Denny Hamlin comes to mind because I would not be surprised the first time they go down pit road if there is an issue for him certainly going to be watching for that Saturday night everything gets started at 6 30 p.m eastern on USA and runs all the way through the post-race show which includes 11 30 Bristol Motor Speedway on NASCAR and NBC on the USA Network, Kim Kuhn will be a part of our coverage as a pit reporter this weekend. And before I let you go, uh, another USA NASCAR program that we've been watching, the Race for the Championship docu-series. I don't know if everybody's been watching this yet, but you should be. Thursday nights on USA, and you've been pretty prominently featured as one of the journalists who... Um, as have tell you. A little bit. Yeah. Not, you do a much better job. <laughs> I don't know about you're, you're that. Way more eloquent than I am in, in putting it all in layman's terms and explaining NASCAR really well. What's that experience been? like? What kind of feedback have you gotten? It's been really fun. I've gotten good feedback from all of the producers and directors. They like that I have an opinion. Hopefully I've not <laughs> been too opinionated that uh, I've upset any drivers. I think I've I've laid it out though and explained things how a non-fan would need them explained in terms of you know the interviews I've done for that. But I think it's just so cool that NASCAR is doing this and giving people an inside look. We've had, you know, tastes of it through other series or at least features before, but this is a completely different thing that hopefully will help fans and non-fans have a new level of respect for the drivers, but then also realize how tough this sport is. Just the lifestyle, how tough it is to win. Um, so I'm excited to see how the rest of the season plays out. And, it, and now, as you know, we're playing not catch up, but now it's like succinct. So yeah, we are. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, they had all this footage to kind of summarize the first part of the season. And now they are literally like banging down the door and it's like almost, it's, it's not live, but it's like, all right, we have this footage from this week and that's going to air next week. Kind of, urgency. Yeah, the first episode was the preseason and the clash at the Coliseum. Yep. Second episode was Daytona, and now it's going to run all the way through the Thursday before Phoenix, and it's going to catch, catch up, up to real time in the 2022 season. So 
you and I were doing interviews this week, and yes. I suspect we'll be doing yep. more than a few more. So um, check that out, USA Race for the Championship, and check out Kim's last appearance on the podcast if you'd like to learn more about her. That Three years ago, she had a great visit here on the NASCAR NBC podcast, but even better, she was able to return right before we do Motormouth. So Kim, thanks for being here. I enjoyed this. Thanks for having me. We appreciate Kim Kuhn for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to producer Aaron Feldstein and motorsports manager Emily Conboy for coordinating Kim's appearance. Again, you can check out Kim's work this weekend as a pit reporter on our NASCAR and NBC broadcasts from Bristol Motor Speedway. As you heard, we taped this on camera just before NASCAR America Motormouths, which is on every Monday and Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. And you can see the video version of the NASCAR and NBC podcast on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. And please subscribe if you visit. There's lots of great bonus content, highlights, features, and interviews from NASCAR, as well as IndyCar, IMSA, Supercross, MotoGP. That's all on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. The NASCAR Cup Series first round cutoff race this Saturday night at Bristol. Five hours of coverage starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Saturday on USA Network. Check out NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for detailed schedules, start times, and coverage as always. If you have any NASCAR NBC podcast feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because <laughs> the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.